Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. So I want to look at this text uh, together, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have your Bible, uh, it'll be on the screen for you, but it begins in verse 7. It says, you are judging by appearances, which by the way, let me just say a quick side note. We don't really know what that means, but back in those days in Corinth, there were people, can you believe this? There were people that would judge someone else. They would cast a thought or a, a, a Something about someone else based on their appearance alone. Can you believe that? I'm so glad we've evolved past that in 2016. (laughs) You're judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they did. That's good. Say, I belong here. here. Say, you're not better than me. Hit your neighbor. Tell him, you're not better than me. (laughs) That's all you had to say. There's no more conversations. Okay. Keep going. Verse, verse 8. So even if I boast somewhat freely, if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, I could do a whole sermon on that. Some say, some of you had some say in your life. Some things that have distracted you and discouraged you and destroyed you. Some say, he says, some say, some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. He's basically saying, hey, I'm going to back up my actions. I don't just talk the talk. I'm going to walk the walk as well. And then verse 12 We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would use this word and your vessel to speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Tell me those six verses could not be completely relevant Facebook posts in 2016. This is written thousands of years ago, but it's so applicable today. He says, comparison, competition, self-commendation, those things aren't wise to do. But look at verse 10 again. This is kind of the crux of the passage. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Growing up, I used to love playing video games. I don't play video games very often anymore. I play with my son more than anything, and he likes to play video games, but... I love playing video games growing up. Where are my gamers? Gamers? Yeah? Okay. Uh, it started out for me uh, with the Atari 5200. It was my sister's, but she passed it down to me. And it had, we had Frogger, which is kind of disturbing. You're taking a frog across traffic. That's kind of disturbing that you have to do that. And then Qbert, I'm not even really sure what Qbert was. He was some kind of creature, but he was really fun to play. And then I moved on to the Nintendo Entertainment System. We had Castlevania and Contra. I still remember the Konami code, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start. That gave you 30 lives. You couldn't beat the game without the Konami code, all right? So you had Nintendo and the Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64. We're now at the Wii. We've got the Wii now. And, uh, and there's a lot of systems in between there. But my son and I love video games. And so when the movie, when Disney's Wreck-It Ralph 
came out to theaters. We were all over that. We were like, let's go see this movie. Because I love video games. They have some nostalgic characters in the movie. It's a cartoon. Uh, like Kubert. Kubert's in the movie. And, uh, and he just loves Disney and he loves video games. So thought, this is going to be fun. Let's go watch this movie together. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to kind of spoil part of the movie for you. But there's a character in the movie named Vanellope. And Vanellope is not only a character in the movie, she's a character in a video game, a racing video game called Sugar Rush. And uh, the problem is she can't race in the video game because she has a glitch. And it's a problem with her programming, her pixelation. And in fact, the glitch is so bad that other people in the video game call her glitch. So she has a glitch and people call her glitch. Do you know that sometimes there are certain things in your life that can become your identity? That is not part of who you are. People define you by those things. And so... She has this glitch, and, and she is thinking this entire time that this thing, this glitch, this pixelation pro- problem, is what's wrong with her, is preventing her from doing what she was called and designed to do, which is race in the video game. The whole movie, she's wrestling with this, that this thing that's wrong with me is preventing me from doing that which I was created to do, which is race and win in the video game. And then again, I'm spoiling, I'm sorry, but at the end of the movie, she kind of gets this revelation That the glitch is not a glitch at all, but it actually helps her win the video game. It helps her win in the race of the game. And she actually becomes the star character. And so it shows these little kids, these teenagers that are coming and they're playing in the arcade. And they all want to be Vanellope. They all want to be the glitch girl because the glitch girl wins the race. She's got this, this pixelation problem that actually benefits her and helps her to win. But for the entire movie, she's wrestling with this identity crisis. I've got this problem, I've got this glitch, and it's keeping me from doing that which I was created to do. It's a great movie. I watched that movie. And it gets me thinking about our own glitches. And how they have gotten us to miss God. And how many times could I have raced faster? Or raced further had it not been for my glitches. Dealing with our glitches, myself included, it's, it's something we all wrestle with. Do you know, and better yet, do you believe that God can use your glitches? Do you know and do you believe that God can use imperfections in you to do big things? If you don't believe it, just open up your word and just begin to read page after page after page after page. But the people that God uses, they're not ideal candidates for the offices he appoints them to. I found this list online and it seemed thorough, so I just copied and pasted it into my notes here. But this is really good. Noah, Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah wasn't very good looking. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. You better think, Jesus, I'm not Elijah right now, okay? (laughs) I'd do it. (laughs) Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went through bankruptcy. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too short and Lazarus was too dead. Hit your neighbor and tell me, tell me your excuse. Right? 
God uses imperfect people all the time. So why is it that God uses imperfect people like these men and women and uses imperfect people like you and I to do big things? And I think there's no better consultant on this than the Apostle Paul. Now, I didn't mention him in the list a minute ago because we don't normally think of him with glitches. We think of him with giftings. We think of him, he's a very gifted man. In fact, in, in Acts, I believe it's Acts 9, it says that he's the chosen instrument that God used to proclaim his name, to make him famous. Paul was used to, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He was the first one to take it beyond to the original Jewish converts along with Barnabas. He was very gifted. So you look at Paul, you look at all his giftings, but in 2 Corinthians, we see him wrestling with a question that you and I wrestle with. You wrestle with it, I wrestle with it. Everybody on your row wrestles with this question. Everybody in your section is wrestling with this question. Everybody that you met tonight as you walked into the building is wrestling with this question. That girl with the nice hair, that guy with the nice boots, everyone in the room is wrestling with this question. And you're not going to outlive this question. You're not going to outlast this question. You're not going to out-earn this question. You're not going to out-accomplish this question. You're not... This question is always going to be with you for the rest of your days. And the question that Paul's wrestling with, that you're wrestling with, that I'm wrestling with, that everyone wrestles with, is do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? So here's Paul. Paul. Paul, Paul wrote 23% of the New Testament. I mean, every major city at that time, he was going into that city and planting a church. Philippi, he walks into Philippi, plants a church, he walks into Rome, plants a church, he walks into Ephesus, he plants a church, walks into Corinth, plants a church, he's planting churches all over the place. And now the church that he founded in Corinth is questioning his credentials. They're saying, do you have what it takes? And he's wrestling with that, do I have what it takes? Because there's a group of people in the Corinthian church, and we find out in the next chapter, in chapter 11, they call themselves the super apostles. And they've done a pretty good job by their means and and, and different devices of convincing the Corinthian church that maybe Paul's credentials and credibility is not quite what we think it should be. And Paul has something to say about that. Because the calling of God on Paul's life is too important. It's too important for him to let anyone stop him. Of what God wants him to do. And let me just say that of you tonight. The calling of God on your life is too important for you to let anyone or anything hinder you from accomplishing that which God calls you to do. God has something for you. And there should be nothing that hinders us. There should be nothing that gets in the way of us getting to that calling, whatever that might be. Sometimes you got to take a stand. For what you know God has called you to do. Sometimes you have to take a, get, a stand against somebody or against someone's words. Or maybe you have to take a stand with yourself against yourself. Paul knows something that we need to know and it is this. That the enemy cannot, the enemy cannot take your calling. Whatever God has called you to do, he cannot take that from you. Now he can take your confidence. He's really good at that. He can take your confidence. He can plant seeds of doubt in your head. But listen, God, God doesn't change his mind on you. You need to know that. You need to believe that. You need to receive that. God does not change his mind on you. Just because you miss your way doesn't mean God changes his mind on you. He doesn't change his mind on you. If you miss your cue, God doesn't change his mind on you. If God calls you, you're called. If God anointed you, you're anointed. If God chose you, you're chosen. He can't take that, but he can take your confidence. The enemy can take your confidence, and he does. And in 2 Corinthians 10, we see Paul standing in the crossroads of confidence and calling. 
And he's wrestling with, do I just default to my destiny or do I press forward anyway? And it's where some of us are at tonight. And what do we see that Paul roots his confidence in? Where does he root his confidence? Look back to verse 7. Look back to verse 7. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. Paul points out that we need to go back to our confidence committee. You may have a confidence committee that meets in your head like me. Anybody have that? Right, you get, God gives you something to do, something new that he wants you to do for his kingdom. And he goes, hey, I want you to do this for me, Read, And the confidence committee gathers at their little chairs, at their little table in my little head. And usually one of them speaks up. It's usually past experiences. And he goes, um, Reed, yes. Uh, remember the last time we tried something new? Remember how that turned out? And he has a PowerPoint presentation of all my failures. Look at this, Reed. You remember this? What about this one? And God's called me to do something big, but I'm looking at the, the slideshow going, uh. and maybe this would be the time that God would really, really use me to do something really, really significant for his kingdom. But I'm, I'm going through the Rolodex of all the past failures and past mistakes that past experiences brings up in that meeting. You start getting afraid of your own ideas because your ideas come with an invoice. You know what I'm saying? So you start realizing over time it costs you something to do something. And when you step out of faith, you almost automatically begin to hear what other people will say before they actually say it. And you talk yourself out of doing something that God has called you to do. You didn't lose your calling, you lost your confidence. The confidence committee got to you. And so you stop doing what God said I set out in motion for you to do. Paul says, I'm confident, verse 7, I'm confident because I belong. True confidence is the byproduct of belonging. Let me say that again. True confidence is the byproduct of belonging. You need to look at your neighbor and say, I belong here. Say to me, I belong here. That was pitiful. That didn't scare anybody. The devil is laughing at you. Say, I belong here. You do. I want you to look at your neighbor. They're not the devil, but I want you to look at your neighbor. And I want you to just... Personify, let them personify all of your doubts and all of your discouragements and all of your deficiencies. And I say, I belong here. Yeah, you belong here. Because see, when you believe that you belong, when you know deep down in your soul that God put you here, that God planted you here, that God has a calling and a purpose and a plan for your life. When you know that, you'll do, you'll do whatever the calling is. All throughout this book, Jeremiah tells us, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I have a plan for you. Before you were even on this earth, I knew what I wanted to do through you. I had a plan. You don't know the plan, but you know me. And it's almost as good as knowing the plan because I'm a good God. So the plan must be fantastic. David would say it this way in Psalm 139. He says, "Uh, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And he says, all the days ordained for me. Every single day was ordained before one day came to be. Every day was written in his book. Now you come to church tonight. That was a free will choice that you came. But God knew you were going to come tonight. God knew you needed to hear this message potentially. 
Every day is ordained. God says, I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for you before the, before the foundations of the earth. I knew this day would be here. I knew you'd be in church. I knew that you'd be wrestling with some of these confidence issues. I have a plan for you. I have a calling for you. I have so, don't let the devil take your confidence because when he takes your confidence, you'll give him your calling. Don't let him take your confidence. God has a calling. He has a plan. But guess what the enemy does too? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's John 10. Peter would say it this way, that that, uh, 1 Peter says that the enemy is like a roaring lion. He's prowling around looking for someone to devour. You ever watch National Geographic? I mean, I I love them lions, man. There's some unsuspecting gazelles. And there's an an unforeseen attack. It's unforeseen. It's a sloppy wet attack. It's like, no, right? The lion's on him. That's how the enemy just looking to devour somebody. I'm going to take your confidence tonight. And then you're going to give me your calling. He plants these seeds of doubt in your head. You begin to let those fester and grow. And you don't replace those with the truth of Christ. He'll plant something in your head. He's like, let the confidence committee talk about this for a little while. And even if you cannot listen to the voices in your head, I promise you there's somebody in your life that's itching to remind you that you can't or you shouldn't or you couldn't. When I moved to Austin, I moved to Austin the first time in 2001. And went to school here. My wife and I both graduated from the University of Texas. And uh, uh, we moved away in 2005 and started working at a church and worked there for seven and a half years. And then we came back to Austin. And the initial reason we came back to Austin, we were going to plant a church. We we're going to start a church. And uh, the goal was to plant the church in the AMC Theater at Barton Creek Mall. We had a contract with them. We were ready to go. But they were under construction. So it was going to be a six to eight month process before we could actually get into the, the, the building and start having services. So we're in limbo. We're just like, we have this, this team, this team of about 20 people that were ready to go. We're excited about launching this new church, this new expression of the bride of Christ, but we don't have a place to meet. In the meantime, there was another church that was close in the 04, which is the Zilker Park neighborhood. And uh, he was a good friend of mine. And so we started meeting and he says, listen, our, our church, they started their church in 2009. This is 2013. He says, our church is not doing well and we're going to close the doors of the church. We only have 25 people. We've been meeting for four years. We have 25 people, including my family. We don't have very many people, and we're going to shut the doors down. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to kill the church. The church is going to die. But he says, but wait, you need a place to meet. We don't really want to kill the church, the thing that God has started. So what if our 25 people merge with your 20 people? It would give you a, a run, give you a boost, give you a little momentum. You'd have a place to meet. That makes sense, and we don't have to kill what God started here. Made sense. So we prayed about it. I said, okay, let's do this. And we did it. We jumped in. And so we started. So, so instead of planting a church, a new church, it was very much like planting a church, but I kind of took over an existing church, but a church that was on its way down. And we're, we had some great synergy. Got in there. Everybody was excited about it. Everybody was pumped about it. Okay, we got this, this new lead pastor. Let's see what happens. So we started doing that. There were two problems. I didn't know them at the time, but there were two major problems with this plan. The first problem was this, is that my philosophy of ministry is I love growing the church through unchurched and dechurched people. I just I don't like transferring saints because it's not growing the big C church. If I'm just taking from your church and putting them in my church, we're just sh- transferring sheep. That, that doesn't feel like that's real growth. I, I know that that happens and some of you did that. And that's great. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But I want the, the most majority of our growth, I want our growth to come from unchurched and dechurched people. Here's the problem with that. It's just a slow growth process. Because <laughs> we had unchurched people, they would come to church, but they don't come every week. Because they're unchurched. <laughs> they don't know. They like they come once a month like, I'm a regular attender. I'm like, you know. 
more regular than you used to be. They don't tithe, they don't serve, they don't, you know, so we were growing, we just weren't growing real fast. And so the 25 people that were the original church that thought they were going to die in in this church uh, started to murmur. It wasn't long. They started to murmur and said, maybe we should have just closed the doors. This is, and and I understand this. Let me just say, I'm not, I'm not knocking those people. I understand this because for four years, they've been doing everything. Like here, we have a, an amazing parking team. We have amazing ushers. We have amazing greeters. We have amazing children's team. Come on, give it up for the servants of this house. We have great people who serve here. And we had all those things too, but we didn't have a 2,000-person pool to, to take those people from. We had 45. So everybody's working every week, every job, and they're just exhausted. And so these 25 people are not seeing amazing growth, and they're like, I'm done. I'm just tired. And, and, and so you have these two factions. You have my core team is excited. They're ready to go. And you have these 25, which actually outnumbered our 20. And they're just tired and ready to quit. The second problem was this, that when I came in, I had two members on my board of directors. So it was a board of directors of three. And I inherited five people that were from that church. I didn't know these men, but I just trusted they loved Jesus. And I just let them be a part of our board. So we had a really big board. Uh, and I inherited five and I had two. So you can see the numbers didn't work there. And... Uh, I didn't know these men, and they didn't know me, and so we got in, and and they kind of liked what they were doing. They kind of liked the church they had, which was a good church, but it wasn't growing. They were going to die, and so I'm thinking, well, let's change some things, but we ran into a lot of conflict with trying to change some of those things. You can understand that. I got outvoted every time. There were too many, and uh, and so anyway, it was fine, but it was hard, and my wife and I, we we worked really hard. I I probably, I spent 16, 18 hour days sometimes trying to turn that thing around. We, We prayed I spent, I had holes in every pair of pants I had. We were praying all the time, God, turn this thing around. And at the end of 2014, uh, these, these, this leadership, this board of directors, minus one of my two that I brought with me, okay, so I lost one of those guys, they, they do a, a lead pastor performance review. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know they were doing this. And so they said, we want to give you this. This is the document. It's, it's four pages in length. Uh, it's not signed by any of them. Different people wrote different things, but they collectively said, this is what we think of you. Okay, all right. So I start reading this, and uh, again, I didn't know. I, again, I'm, I'm working my tail off, and I'm just going to read you some of the clip notes. Is that okay tonight? So it says uh, that my ability to communicate is a weakness and my messages can be characterized as needing more meat and less seasoning. It's clever. <laughs> it says I care for people, but sometimes I can be blinded in caring for others to see what is possibly more pressing, a, a need that's more pressing than caring for someone in need. And at times, my willingness to care for others can cloud my judgment. Says Reed's optimism is a great strength of his. He's very optimistic, but in leading, it can be a great weakness. He wears rose-colored glasses. <laughs> At times, he lacks perception. I can't even perceive what that means. <laughs> this is good. He's talking about me, but he says a person bent on people pleasing has trouble handling tough issues due to concern. For the reputation and hurting others. In other words, I'm more concerned with people pleasing and my own reputation than I am confronting tough issues. And then he goes on to quote a verse out of Luke 11, which he knew I would know. 
And he quotes this and says, Woe to the man who everyone speaks well of. And he knew that I knew that that wasn't the whole verse. The verse continues at the end. It says, For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Strongly offended me. My favorite part of the whole thing was this first part. It's, it's, they put a little graph up here, so I'd see it real nice bold right there at the front, right? And they had seven categorical assessments that they made of me as their lead pastor. Uh, these are men that did not know me. These are men that knew me less than a year. And uh, they, 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 they graded me on vision casting, teaching, discipling, caring, missional living, leading, and self-awareness. And in four of the seven categories, they graded me as below expectations. That was tough to read. I remember uh, coming home and showing my wife, and we were already frustrated with things in the church, and uh, we had a good cry. So we were putting in so many hours and trying to turn this thing around, and the men that were supposed to be lifting me up and encouraging me and shepherding my heart. And, and you have to understand, I love constructive criticism, I do, but this wasn't constructive, it was destructive. This wrecked me. Wreck it, read. It wrecked me. <laughs> Two months later, the church closed. Two months after that, I was hired by Christian Life Austin. And... Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Let me just say this. Let me just say this. Uh, this church has been so such healing for us. Um, I love this church. I love it. From the moment I walked in, I love this church for two reasons. One, because of you. The moment we walked in, the moment I walked into these doors, you started calling me Pastor Reed. You didn't even know me. You started calling me Pastor Reed, and, and, and you've always shown me respect and love and admiration, and I, I just, I love you back. I cannot express the love that I have for you. And I love, I love, love, love our team. And it's led by an incredible man. I'm a little biased because he's my uncle, but I love you. Uh, I do. He's awesome to work for. And I love Pastor Brad and Pastor Brandon and Pastor Rand. I just love our whole team. We have a great, great team, and we get along, and we don't let any wholesome talk come out of our mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, that it may benefit those who listen according to their needs. And sometimes, sometimes Pastor has something to tell us, and it's criticism. But, and Paul says that's okay, but speak the truth in love, and he'll do it in a way that's really loving, where you're almost like he, he, he tears you down, but you don't even feel teared down. You're like, that's awesome. I want to do it. Like, it's so good. He has a way of like spinning it like, yeah, I should have thought of that. Like, it's just, it's so good. So I love you. Thank you, Pastor and Sweet Pea, for taking a chance on us. When we're criticized, listen, when we're, I got to hurry, I got to 30. When we're criticized, <laughs> when we're criticized, I think our first reaction is to have self-defense. So that's not true. That's not true. But when that hit me below expectations, I said, that's spot on. 
I've never felt like that I was good enough. I've never felt like that I belonged. I don't have a degree to do this. I've never gone to seminary. I don't have, I don't have what it takes. I'm below expectations. Yeah, I'm always, when it's up to read, if it's only up to read, I'm always going to be below expectations. Every single time I'll be below expectations. And Jesus even said it himself in John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do anything. You're always going to be below expectations. I'm below expectations. So I've come to invite you tonight. Who wants to join the club? Who wants to be a part of club below expectations? Who wants to be a part of the club? I'm messed up. Who wants to be part of the club that I can't do it on my own? That's where we're at. But you know what? I'm called and I'm chosen and I'm here and I belong here. Join the club. And I can't believe all the people that were questioned of their qualifications. It's Paul. I can't believe that. But listen to what he says in verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. He says, for some say, some say, it's good. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful. But in person he is unimpressive and his, impressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. This bothered Paul. I know that because in the next chapter, in verses 5 and 6, he talks about it again. He says, I'm not trained as a speaker, but I have knowledge. He recognized I'm not a good speaker. I know it bothered him because he talked about it several times. You don't talk about things unless they bother you. Let me ask you a question. When, when you get to heaven, somebody's probably asked you this before. When you get to heaven, who's the first person you want to see? Everybody together. Jesus. If you said somebody other than Jesus, we need to talk, okay? Jesus, yes. I want to put my hand on the nail scarred hand. But when I ask you, the second person you want to see, so many people say Paul. And it makes sense because there's probably outside of the one who our faith derives from, Jesus Christ, there's no one who's done more for our faith in the history of humanity, the Apostle Paul. He's done an incredible job. But I have a feeling that Paul is maybe not as impressive as we have made him out to be in our minds. He even says so himself. Apparently, when Paul got up to preach, there was something lacking. He wasn't a good orator. Now in Corinth, there were, there were, they would compare preachers with other preachers. There was another preacher named Apollos, and apparently he was stunning. Very eloquent of speech. When he would preach, everybody would just kind of press in, lean in. Oh, that's so good. Did you like that? I like that. I can't wait till next week to get to hear Apollos again. They loved that. But when Paul preached, apparently there were some people that walked away going, talks about there was one guy he was preaching one time and there was a guy that was so bored that he fell asleep and he fell out of a window and he died it's a true story his name his name's Eutychus Eutychus too if you fell out a window I'm sorry that was bad (laughs) that's a bad joke that's a preacher joke Paul couldn't preach Paul couldn't preach he said it himself he said I'm not trained as a speaker Look at verse 10 again. Some say his letters are weighty and forceful in person. He's unimpressive. His speaking amounts to nothing. He couldn't preach. Paulus could preach. Now, but Paul could write. Oh, he could write. He could write a letter. He could write a letter so well. Somebody in the house today, I want you to just, just quote a, any, any verse that Paul wrote. Any verse that Paul penned. Just somebody quote something that Paul wrote. Yes, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's good. Give me another one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there's all. I, I no longer live, but Christ lives with I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives with There's so many great verses. Now, somebody give me something Apollos wrote. Yeah. 
One verse. Nobody got one? That's interesting because Apollos was such a good speaker. He was, I mean, you left there going, oh, that was good. But then when it was over, it was over. There was nothing like, we, we can't go to his archives and listen to old sermons on podcasts. He's like, he's done. <laughs> Apollos was eloquent of speech. He was a very good orator, but he, Paul says, I'm, I'm not good at that. I could, I could write something. And it makes me wonder as I'm studying this text, if Paul had been able to speak like Apollos, would he have been able to write like Paul? If Paul had been able to speak like Apollos, would he have been able to write like Paul? I think, I think that it was his glitch that became his gift. It was because he couldn't preach like Apollos. And he says, you know what? I do have this knowledge. I don't know how, I don't know how to speak, but I have this knowledge. And I need to communicate this gospel. It's very, very important. I'm not a very good speaker, but I can write. I can write a letter. So I'm going to write this. I'm going to write this. I'm going to write this. I've got to find a way to communicate the gospel. His glitch became our gift. We may not have all of Paul's letters had he preached like Apollos preached. And I'm sure there were days he said, man, I, was, I wish I was a better communicator. I wish I was a better preacher. I was... But he's probably the greatest preacher that's ever gone down in the history of humanity. You keep thinking that God could really use you if you could do what that other person does so well. Oh, if I just had their gifts, I could change the world. And maybe God has sent me here to tell you tonight that it is not through your strength that God looks good. It's not always through your strength. Sometimes it's through our glitches that God gets the most glory. Sometimes it's through the thing that you thought, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. I guess I'll do this. I'm pretty good at this. And God gets more glory. He says, that's what I called you to do in the first place in the beginning. That's what I set you apart to do before the foundations of the earth. I mean, if Paul could have preached, if Paul could have preached, would would I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? If Paul could have preached, would, would I know that, for I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all, else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But I know that. I don't know. I truly believe he couldn't preach like Apollos, but he wrote like Paul and it was his glitch that became our gift. Maybe God wants to use your glitches for his glory. In my weakness, I am strong. That's his words too. 2 Corinthians 12, 10. Here's what I love to do in closing. 829, that's pretty good. Here's what I love to do in closing. Do I get to come back now? Here's what I get to do in closing. I would love, I would love for you that are here to say, Reed, I've lost my confidence. And as a result of losing my confidence, I've given my calling away. I know God's given me a calling, but I don't believe in myself. I don't believe that... When I look at the task and I look at the servant, the two don't match. It's very God-sized and I'm very, very below expectations. I believe that you've been given everything you need to do everything that God called you to do. Some of you have children and that is your calling. Those kids, they didn't, God didn't give those kids to me. He gave those kids to you. They're your kids. They're his kids. They're on loan to you, but you've got to give them that, that time and that love and that correction. You've got to instill that into them. Are you going to return them back as damaged goods? You're going to return them back better than what they were given to you. So that's my calling. 
And, and yeah, I've made some mistakes as a parent, but I'm going to, I'm going to, from this day forward, I'm going to make some, some really smart choices. I'm going to live and I'm going to believe in myself. I'm going to have the confidence, the calling that God has given me for these kids because they need me. Some of you need to start a ministry. You've had this calling in your life. You need to start this ministry, start this ministry. You've even approached me and you say, hey, read, we should start this ministry at the church. I don't know if you've looked lately, but we have over 2,000 plus people that are here on Sunday mornings. There's five full-time staff pastors. We're wearing a lot of hats. It's hard for us to just jump in and start a new ministry. Maybe you start the ministry and we'll support you as as opposed to us starting the ministry that you support us. Maybe you start a ministry. Maybe that's your calling. Maybe you're going to bring people to the kingdom of God because of something that God's placed on your heart that you're passionate about. But you've got to get that confidence back to get your calling back. So here's what I'd love to do. I want everybody to stand to your feet. And if that's you, if you're in the balcony, I'll wait for you, okay? If that's you, you say, Reed, I've I've lost my confidence. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that Jesus, Jesus Christ would restore your confidence to you. So I want you to come. I want you to come. If that's you, you say, Reed, I've lost my confidence. I've lost my, leaders of the church may come and say, listen, I've lost my confidence. I've lost my confidence. Somebody here for the first time, you may, I want you to come now. I want you to come now. Here, here's, here's the thing. The enemy, he's really good. Come, come on. The enemy's really, really good at planting those seeds of doubt in your head. The confidence committee will gather and they're going, to, they're going to try to take that away from you. Take your confidence away from you. Look at them come. I'm with you. I need my confidence restored by Jesus Christ. Because God is calling us to something greater than ourselves. He has a plan and a purpose for every single person in this room. And, and we got to get that back. Get your confidence back. As you're coming, listen to me. As you're coming, listen to me. Hebrews 10 says this. Cast not away your confidence. It has great recompense in the Lord. If your confidence is gone today, and thus your calling is gone today, the devil will not take that from you. The devil cannot take your calling, but he can take your confidence. And because he can't take your calling, it means you gave it to him, which means you can get it back. So you just got to rest in the fact that you've got Jesus on your side. And that Jesus has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a calling for your life. And he wants to use you in mighty ways. On your own, you're probably always going to be below expectations. And that's okay. With him, you can exceed expectations. With man, this is impossible. Not with God. All things are possible with God. So what is it that you want tonight? If you want confidence. Paul told us it's not about appearances. Those things are worthless and meaningless. This is about regardless of of the circumstances, regardless even of the outcomes. It's saying, I know that I have a calling from God Almighty. And I don't even know what the calling is. Some of you are like, I don't even know what the calling is, but I want my confidence so I can discover my calling. I want to pray for you. Come, come close, come close. Let's pray together. I want you to reach your hands out. I want you to repeat after me. Everybody can repeat after me. That's okay. Say, I am called. I am chosen. I want you to like you, like you believe it. I, I belong. I'm anointed. I'm appointed. God wants to use me. God is in me. Working through me. Use me, God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm getting my passion back. I'm getting my vision back. I'm getting my joy back. I'm getting my confidence back. I'm getting my calling back. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now praise Jesus. Just give Jesus some praise tonight and thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.